Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Your four World Cups... Your four World Cups, uh, if you can, if you've only got one or two, that's just fine. You might be young and only young uh, that you've seen uh, one or two. So uh, be fair, uh, look, double eight, double three, your four best and memorable World Cups. I don't care what sport they're in either, just by the by. It's 9.04. Well, the Rugby League World Cup is underway in the UK, of course. Uh, one man who'll be keeping a keen eye on it is the Warriors' incoming head coach, Andrew Webster. And after a tough NRL season, the club here have plenty to work on if they turn things around in 2023. Time will tell if they have uh, the right man at the helm, but there's always plenty of excitement around and, and Andrew Webster's appointment following his success at Penrith as the attack coach. And it is our great pleasure to welcome uh, the incoming coach uh, onto our show for the first time. Andrew, good morning to you and thanks for your time. Morning, Vinny. How are you, mate? Yeah, really, really good, pal. Uh, listen, how are you settling into life at the Warriors? I mean, you've been here before, but uh, you're coming back in a slightly more powerful role. How's, how are you settling in? Yeah, mate, it feels like home. It um, feels like I never left. Um, I just mean, like, getting around the city, um, you know, where I used to go for dinner, and play the cafes. You know, a lot, a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't. So it feels like home. As for the Warriors, mate, um, yeah, I've been at work for four days. So um, really enjoying it. Just um, a lot of the same staff, which is really cool. A lot of different people, which is nice to see. Uh, definitely feels like a fresh start. And I just feel like a lot of excitement about the opportunity of everyone coming home. And, yeah, I feel, I feel like it's home for me already. Andrew, um, based on your success that you had with the Panthers, I would imagine it wasn't just the, the Warriors that uh, showed interest in you. Uh, why did you choose uh, coming back to New Zealand? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it's a huge advantage already being to a place. I think if you're, you're going to take your first appointment as a head coach, you want to know you're going to feel comfortable there and you want to know that you understand the bones of the organisation and um, you sort of... You watch them from afar um, when it's your old club. You always keep a closer eye on them than you probably do a club that you've never worked at. Um, and also having friends here and people I've worked with, whilst uh, I'm sure the, the results haven't haven't been what everyone's wanted, always feel like if uh, a few things change and feel like uh, I could have an impact with other people on those things. So um, that always, I, I think that's a huge advantage um, I've actually lived, I've lived that and been here and understand that. Um, and obviously speaking to the club and knowing where they wanted to take and what their vision was, was really aligned with what I, what was, I was interested in. And also I love the city, love the people. I actually, um, my wife and I, when we lived here, love the place. So, um, yeah, I, this, this was a huge advantage for me for my first appointment, um, where the club is at. 
where I think we can go and, and been here before. Andrew, of course, um, every every uh, NRL side has a, a, a very passionate support base. Warriors, of course, are passionate, but they've also been starved of a lot of action because of COVID, etc. So this is quite uh, an exciting season in that regard for the fans. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at look when the games that came home late last year, you look at the... Um, obviously, just see how much they, they missed it. Um, already been in town for four days and... You really see a lot of people talking about it. You can see the passion, the excitement. Um, you know, we just we just got to give them something exciting now um, to cheer about. Um, but I think I think the um, the fan base here is probably it's got to be one of the most loyal, if not the most loyal fan base uh, in the NRL. Um, yeah, and just excited for for us to reconnect uh, with the whole community. I, I think. The way they reconnected at the end of last year, the way the club did it and the players and uh, had some strong performances at home, I think. You know, and that, that game against the Tigers when they came home, walking through that tunnel with the fireworks, I was sitting at home with goosebumps. So uh, I think the fans the fans are going to have to be really excited that we can reconnect with them all. Andrew, in terms of uh, your coaching staff, uh, as you say, you're only four days into uh, the role officially as such, but uh, what role specifically for your coaching setup um, do you envisage now? Uh, and um, a question from the audience as well, did, did you have any say in picking your coaches or did that come too late? No, no I definitely had a say. Um, so obviously Stacey Jones is a club legend, good friend of mine. Um, I value him as a, what he, what he delivers to the club as a coach and as a person. Um, obviously, I feel Stacey's going to, if anything, but grow from, from the opportunity of being interim coach and leading the leading the team. So yeah, that was a no-brainer. Justin um, um, Morgan plays the club, plenty of experience. Um, pretty excited um, um, to work with Justin. I've worked with him before. Um, around, I think, Justin's strengths are going to suit the way that I think we should play. Um, we um, hired um, Slay, um, we hired a guy called Rich Agar, who's got plenty of international coaching experience. Uh, he was looking to make the move to the NRL from the Super League. Uh, a lot of clubs were after him, and I've been lucky enough to work with him at international level um, and coached a lot against him in the Super League. So he's a really experienced head coach in the past and assistant coach. Uh, he's even sat in some general manager roles and things like that. So... Um, yeah, he's he's really exciting, and we've got Slay Griffin, who's a young up and coming coach, who's going to coach our New South Wales Cup. Um, and Slay's going to obviously mentor a lot of players transitioning um, up and down from first grade back down, back up, to make sure eventually that they that they're here playing every week in week out in the NRL. And then obviously Adam Blair, which is really cool. The next player's coming on the coach our uh, SG Ball side, which is exciting. You've also got, of course, uh, Andrew McFadden coming in to look after recruitment and pathways uh, going forward as well. Have you spoken much with Andrew? Yeah, I have, mate. I have. Um, yeah, yeah, once again, I spoke about the advantage of being here before. And I think Tucky certainly got that. Uh, he understands the place. He's really excited in that role. Um, you know, having worked with Tucky before, I just know how, um, how, he, how detailed he's around planning and putting putting the plan in place. We, I know Cappy's already pretty excited what the Pathways group has been doing while whilst um, the, the team's been away. Um, so he's walking into something that he thinks can be exciting. Um, 
there's a big plan for myself, the club, uh, and Pappy, and I think everyone agrees, is trying to make sure that we create a really strong pathway for our kids. Um, so he's certainly going to lead it up. I think I think the strongest thing Cappy can do, having an ex, uh, like a coaching background, is he can really develop our local coaches as well. Uh, and he can also um, streamline and, and make sure that we're, we're keeping the best New Zealand kids in New Zealand. Andrew, uh, you were so successful uh, as the attack coach for the uh, Panthers, of course. Uh, is that is that a part of your portfolio? You want you want to keep your eye on as well? Is that is that something you want to be very hands on with the attack side of it? Yeah, I, I think the last so probably is my whole coaching career. I think there's been different times where I've I've been the attack coach, and then I've been lucky enough to do five years in a row as a defence coach here and then back to attack. And uh, I think that kind of sets you up for the day that you do become a, a head coach, that you're across it all and you've had experience in both things. Um, I think the big thing I've at the club about and obviously the supportive and agreed is trying to just get the, a world-class coaching group together um, that you can trust and know um, that, that, that all our ideas are on the same page and they can put together a really cool program for the players. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, I still want to be hands-on. I want to coach. Um, I've got some ideas around that. But, um, yeah, I'm certainly not going to be as hands-on on the field as I was because um, you've got to be across it all, the defence, the attack, um, the pathways. You've got to have an eye on everything. But I'm certainly going to be more hands-on, I think, a lot of head coaches initially. When you took the role and since you took the role, have you had any uh, sort of chat with Ivan Cleary uh, about it? Because, of course, uh, he knows uh, pretty much what it takes to, uh, to to be involved with the Warriors at the at the top level. So um, did you, did, have you spoken much with Ivan? Yes. Oh, well, I, it's funny because um, I worked with Ivan at the Tigers. When I left the Warriors, I, spoke to, I worked with Ivan at the Panthers. Um so, like I said, you mentioned before, when when you always keep an eye on your old club, a club that you like, and um, Ivan and I would have hundreds of discussions about the Warriors, what we saw. Uh, he obviously still loves the place. He talked about Auckland a lot, um, and New Zealand, and, and how much we loved it here. And then, obviously, when um, I said the Warriors were interested, then obviously we had a, we had a million conversations about the process and in taking the job. And then obviously I had a you know, hundred conversations since since taking the job because I obviously work with him closely every day, um, and he's a good friend of mine. So uh, he's excited for me. He thinks it's, it's going to fit. He's going to um, fit me like a glove. And he's obviously mentioned, you know, any time I want some advice, which I've asked him some questions already. And as he said, he's had he's had heaps of success here, um, and he's obviously had success where he is now. So. Yeah, he, he's definitely going to be a mentor, even though he's going to be a competitor now. Uh, he has been a mentor, and, and he's offered to stay that way. It's great news. Uh, Andrew, um, one of the, probably, the, I think, the most depressing things uh, that I remember from last season uh, as, a, as a, you know, a former sportsman my, myself was the reports that were coming out of the Warriors that uh, from the likes of uh, Nathan Brown, etc., that they didn't feel, and Stacey towards the end, they didn't feel they wanted to play. They didn't feel they had um, the desire to actually get out there and, and give it 100% week after week. Uh, you probably read those reports. What, what, what can you do to ensure that doesn't happen this season? Uh, I think... Um 
Uh, I mean this. I mean, I, I think early on as a group, as a coaching staff and a playing group, we've got to get together and address, you know, the past, meaning last year. We've got to talk about it. We've got to review it. Um, we're also going to be a new group and it's going to be a new season. Um, players have left, new players are coming, new staff moving home to fresh start. But for us to move on, we're going to have to actually address that and have a chat about it. Um, and not just that, every every aspect about football, technical, tactical, mental, which you're talking about wanting to play, um, and just and just see what the players, you know, are thinking, why, get to the bottom of stuff. And then once we do that, we can move forward. And then um, instead of looking backwards, we can look forward because it's certainly going to be a fresh start. But, yeah, we've just got to address it. The thing for me, I think the best way to do it is... Um, we're going, to, we're going to have to work hard. We're going to have to build resilience, and we're going to have to become really close as a team—a um, team that want to play for each other, play for play for the fans, and, and you know, play for New Zealand. So, I think we create that, and we create a happy environment where they want to come to work every day to learn, um, to work hard, but enjoy each other's company, and, and make make them want to come back the next day. That, that's the key. They want to come back the next day, and they're enjoying it. You'll, you'll see that their um, their efforts will improve. Your, your playmakers at Penrith were outstanding. One of the reasons, of course, I mean, you had a great all-round side, but uh, when you had uh, players the likes of uh, Nathan Cleary to create on your behalf, uh, you've got a great asset there. Who are those players? Who are those players at the Warriors in this coming season? You might hope to get some sort of replication, maybe not to the same level as a Nathan Cleary, but who are those guys you're depending on as such? Well, I think if you look at um, the Panthers, they, um, they actually had a, a great spine. If you look at it, everyone talks about the spine. So their hooker, their two halves, and their fullback, and they even threw in Zaire Yo there, and they added him to the spine there, and um, as their lock, and created him as a spine player. Um, if you look at us at the at the Warriors, we've got a really good hooker in Wade Egan. Um, we've got Tamari Martin, who's played in the NRL Grand Finals at five eight. He's obviously been at the Broncos recently, returning, and he's going to come and play in the halves here. Sean Johnson, extremely experienced. I think we go, Sean plays his best football. Warriors are going to win games. I think that's pretty clear. And obviously, Chance, uh, returning to the club. He's played in grand finals as a fullback. Um, he's obviously gone away with the Kiwis. Um, and then you throw in our captain, Torres, who can play that middle forward lock role. We've actually, they're the guys, because we've got a strong spine. And we've actually got some young guys. Um, um, Ronald and Metcalf, those guys coming through who, who can challenge these guys to, to position, keep them on their toes. At the same time, they're the guys we're going to be looking to to, to make the team gel and to, to lead us on the field. So yeah, it's 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 pretty exciting. Well, I think um, you know from an outsider looking into one of the one of the other things that which is a little bit concerning is the way that the Warriors leaked tries at times. Uh, so along with Justin, I, I would imagine that's a, a really high priority to make sure it's a damn sight tougher to score against them this time round. Yeah, so um, our coaching model could be completely different too. So like we we're going to share the share a lot of responsibilities like that too. Um, um, yeah, with with Justin as you mentioned, um, I I feel like a lot of people look at the results of defence and they say, okay, must be. Must be a poor defensive team, which is common sense, and I agree with it. Like, you know, they're not. That's pretty obvious. They're leaking points and not doing well. But like I said, defence is a lot of attitude. There's a lot of technical parts to it, a lot of physical parts to it, but it's a lot of attitude. So, 
Um, we've got to learn to enjoy our defence and then enjoy, you know, defence isn't easy and we've got to have the right attitude around it. So we've got to adjust and fix that. It's definitely times, but definitely times when we didn't show the resilience that we needed. Um, and you also look at, um, there's, there's a million different things can put too much pressure on your defence. That could be poor possession, not scoring enough points, um, constantly defending from, from errors. You, you, you can't, in the NRL these days, you just can't defend your line all night. We, that's, the, that's the aim that we can show enough resilience that we can. So we want to try and limit the pressure, but if we do, do get put under it, we've got to be able to hold our gloves up and fight our way out of it. So I think there's a million different reasons, not a million, it's probably the wrong one, but there's reasons that we've got to, we've got to look into that why the defence was where it was instead of just throwing stones and saying that we had terrible defence. Some of your players, of course, um, as, a, as is the case with other clubs as well, are, are not going to get the, the standard break that they would normally have um, post-NRL season because of the World Cup, which is currently on, uh, Andrew. So what is your timeline? Um, what, are, what are you plotting out in terms of the bulk of your squad, etc., going forward now? Yeah, so um, three-quarters of the... Or probably, um, probably, yeah, probably about 80% of the squad is going to start in November first week and second week of November. Um, the, the RLPA have ruled them around when they can and can't come back to training. Um, and we'll get those World Cup boys back after Christmas, which is about five, five of them. So um, we we want to rip in early. I ask the coaches again together now to formulate the plan, how we're going to execute things, um, what content we're going to have. So we're going through that process in the next two weeks. And then... The boys will get about a seven-week block before Christmas, which is going to be a long, compared to other clubs, that's quite a long time. So we won't get those other boys back until, the World Cup boys back until after Christmas. And just finally, uh, Andrew, um, have you set, uh, is it too early or have you, have you put a, a goal at the top of the whiteboard yet as if to say, right, 2023, at the end of the 2023 uh, I have achieved that the team goal will be what? I mean, you know, the uh, the eight, uh, even higher aspirations. Uh, I just, I, I honestly, this is the truth. I think every single NRL team says at the start of the season, the objective is to win the competition. Otherwise, we're kidding ourselves. Um, people say that's a crazy expectation. Um, You've you got you to try and chase that every day. Um, I think the goals, I think everyone's learning that it's a bit of a, cliche, it's a bit boring, but you've got to set yourself goals. We've got to set ourselves smaller achievements along the way. So um, we've got to set ourselves a goal that day of training. We've got to set ourselves a, a, from at the start of the week, how we're going to look at the end of the week. We're going to talk about how we're going to look before Christmas. And we've got to break up those goals as we go. Um, because if you do that, you're a better chance of getting to the end goal. So um, putting one like a top eight or something, something like that, I just don't I don't think we should be chasing that. We should be chasing to be the best possible team we can as quick as we can. Um, but we've got to understand how we're going to get there. And they're our goals. Um, they're our, their little goals to get to our major one. And we've got to set those every day. So um, we're, we're ambitious. We want to be successful. So no one's going to sell ourselves short. But we're not going to refer to winning the comp or lifting trophies all the time. We're going to refer to what what is the hard work, what is the detail, and what do we need to get there. That's the most important thing we talk about all the time, refer to. 
Andrew Webster, great to have you uh, back uh, in the role with the Warriors and uh, particularly as the boss this time round. Uh, really looking forward to uh, the season uh, and uh, anything that comes out of the Warriors because um, we just do. We, we love the Warriors uh, over this part of the world, as you yeah. well know. So, hey, thanks very much, mate, for your time this morning. Uh, all the best with the pre-season, etc. We'll catch up at some stage shortly, I'm sure. Thank you. For sure. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Cheers, uh, Andrew Webster there, uh, head coach for the Warriors, in, incoming head coach uh, with the Warriors. Fantastic to uh, have access to him just uh, so early in his tenure, just four days into it with a lot of work to do. So that gives you an opportunity after uh, 9.30 to, uh, you heard that interview, uh, give us a call on 0800 150 811, 0800 um, and you can uh, talk about uh, what you've just heard from uh, Andrew Webster in terms of his coaching setup and his beliefs, etc., uh, you almost also might want to have a, a bit of a chat about the, the black caps. I'm a bit concerned, uh, to be perfectly honest. We're just not playing well enough across the board. Uh, so I'd love to hear your reasons for that as well on 0800 811. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we'll have uh, a text or two for you. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Jared has come in with his uh, four World Cups, favourite World Cups for him. 2011 Rugby World Cup, 24 years after winning the first cup and backing up in 2015. The 1992 Cricket World Cup, also close, yes it was. 1982 Espana All-Whites uh, making the World Cup for the first time. Uh, that's from Jared. Love to hear your four favourite World Cups. Don't have to be ones we won, but uh, your favourites, your most memorable uh, double eight double three, double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine for that. Uh, we also will uh, open up the lines very shortly um, to uh, have your calls on what you heard from Andrew Webster, what you're thinking about the Black Caps at the, this point, um, the Rugby Women's World Cup. Um, are we going to win it? Can we beat uh, England and France on the back of uh, their performance at very strong forward tussle at the weekend? So uh, let's um, let's. Uh, Open up those lines, shall we? Yes, we will right now. 0800 150 811. Already got Zane waiting to talk to us after the news here at 9.31. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. It is 9.32 and first up this morning, first off the tee, is uh, Zane from Paraparaumu. Good morning, Zane. Yeah, heading into the night, Smithy, four over. Not a bad day out here. Sounds um, better than Israel Dag, mate, I'll tell you. Uh, you, you have, have you yeah. shot 100? Have you shot 100, Zane? It can get oh, windy mate, I, at Paraparaumu. I shot 102 in Japan after topping every drive off, uh, off the tee, but anyway, we won't get into my poor performances. Hey, um... <laughs> First instincts about uh, Mr. Webster, much more articulate than we've heard from a very long time. For a very long time, um, not so many cliches and so forth. But I mean, you know that I change broken organisations for a living. So the the two key points that stood out for me is him not coming in with assumptions and wanting to really dig in and find out what the the people who are on the ground think the causes are of the problems they've had before he tries to fix them. And the second one was about having like you know, the goal of winning the comp may not be realistic, but you've got to aim for it. But breaking down the micro goals, they'll have a realistic goal for winning the comp in three to five years. But making sure those little micro goals he's talking about are clearly sort of linked 
to progressing forward and everyone in the organisation understands how those little painful things they're doing every day are going to link to achieving that, that for me was the biggest um, you know, sense of relief, I guess, after all the gobbledygook we've heard for the past you know, three to four years. So, Zane, so, yeah. you're, you're pretty pretty impressed with what you heard then overall, if you, if you look at the, it was about 20 oh, minutes. Uh, but yeah. what, what more could he have said for a guy who's been there four days? He probably hasn't even spoken to half of the players yet. So you could see he's coming with a sense of you know, authority. He's, he's highly experienced, but he wasn't kind of make you know, bold statements about what he was and wasn't going to do um, because he doesn't know yet. He's got to get in there and see what he's working with. And he'll set out some guidelines of what the, you know, best practice will look like for the players he wants. And he'll weed out those who don't have it. So, yeah, it gives me a lot of confidence. Yeah, it does. It does to me. Uh, a couple of things that uh, I, I gleaned out of it as well. One is what uh, I, I don't think uh, he's just going to give anyone a portfolio and say it's yours for the year. I think he's going to be very closely across every part of that uh, coaching group as such. And when we talked about the defence, um, he was. Uh, I think you could hear from his voice that he, went, he wanted to be very much an integral part of that too. As he should, mate. As he should. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I, I think that the idea of having like the um, individualised coaches across, like they'll have coaches for each key position, the spine and so forth. That's it's an interesting approach. So onwards and upwards, mate. Bring on twenty two. Onwards and upwards, mate. Okay, going by four over. I think I wouldn't expect you to shoot any more than eight over. Then, if you're turning for home now, I'll let you know. Here we go, mate. Cheers. Good on, good on you, boy. Thank you. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave from Palmerston North. G'day, Dave. Morning, Smitty. Hey, um, oh, it's just on the black cap side, don't, I'm worried about them. I don't hold out much hope. I think uh, the last three finals we've made in that test championship might be out for a while. We, you know, we don't have the player stocks that other countries have. I, I hope they do well, but I'm, I'm not putting my money on it. Um, and so I put you very, very measured for a man that's only been there, like you say, four days, and he can say we're going to win time to achieve the goals that he wants to achieve. Obviously, the ultimate is winning the comp, but say the first goal is having a better defensive record, so we're not, you know, letting so many points. And I think when you have goals, you've got to get the whole group, you know, to get in there and make the goal so everybody um, is on board before you start trying to even achieve them. And like like the previous caller said, the micro goals have got to come before the big ones. Uh, but I, th- I hope he does well and I hope he gets the time and, you know, don't you worry, they've got the best fans in the NRL, so, you know, they'll keep off his back if he, they just see the effort. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Dave, and the, the biggest point for me, and, and as I said to him in the interview, the most concerning thing I think all of us felt throughout the, the latter, latter stages of that season when we had two coaches, Nathan Brown and Stacey Jones, both saying very publicly they were worried about the players' desire to actually be out there and play. Now, if they can fix that, that's, that's a huge bonus for me. Yeah, if he, if, if he can fix that, and if he'll weed out the players that aren't giving 100% or he doesn't see the given. We we see, we see think we know on TV when we see it, you know, players falling off tackles or not running as hard or not getting off the ground as much, but we don't act, we're not actually there. But I'm sure this kind of guy who's been undived and Cleary, he knows what kind of player it takes. He knows how to, you know, like with any coach, you've got to get the best out of your players. It's like being at school. You, you work harder if you've got that teacher that gets the best out of you. And he sounds like one of those blokes, and I hope he does really well. 
And I really hope, you know, the management owner give them the time to do that. And, you know, geez, you're looking at three, five, seven years, you know, to build something like that, you know, like the Panthers did. Oh, I agree. Uh, the other thing, of course, he's got a real challenge. We, we know this, uh, Dave. I mean, he doesn't, uh, as we alluded to, he doesn't have Nathan Cleary. He doesn't have uh, that spine, that uh, that proven spine at the Panthers. I mean, he's coming, he's coming from an organisation that, which some say, um, are one of the best two or three in the history of the NRL, the Winfield Cup, the lot, going all those days back. Uh, and all of a sudden, he's coming to a, a side that, um, uh, for all intents and purposes, didn't have a spine at all. Yeah, well, hey, look, the only thing they didn't win was the women's comp, and the only reason they didn't win that is they didn't have a team in. So, you know, he's, he's got... <laughs> you can't win something that you're not in. Um, but he, he knows the culture, he knows what it takes, and those... We, you know, he hasn't been there for all the good times. He's been there for a lot of years, and he's been part of that rebuilding process. So, you know, this is his chance to shine. I hope he does really, really well. You know, and they give, like I say, the key thing is give him time. Give him time, Dave. Give him time. Thank you very much uh, for your call this morning uh, and uh, appreciate those thoughts. Speaking of giving time, we're giving time to, to Joey now. Good morning, Joey. Yeah, good Yeah, just talking about um, uh, the uh, Webster. Yeah, he's coming off a, um, you know, with someone like Ivan Cleary, who he can, he can bounce uh, ideas off because Ivan's been there for a start, which, which is a massive help to him. Um, and and you, you did right. He's got to get the, the, the players, the players that the, the, they want to win. They want to play for the, the club. They they want to play for the fans. Fans, you know. This like you said, the problem they had last year was some of them just sound as though they didn't want to turn up. Well, if you don't want to be there, see you later. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you've you've got to want to want to play for the guys around you. Play for yourself. Play for the club. And that's what he needs to get done first. The other thing too. Is when you say to somebody, uh, "Hey, what's your aspects, your goals of next year?" If you said that to me as a coach, I'd say winning it straight away. And you might say, "Oh, yeah, but you know, you, you, you're with a side that, that hasn't won it and everything." Yeah, you say, "But that's the aspect that I'm bringing to this club because that's why they've got me. They want to win a competition, and so do I." And then you put that in the players' minds as well to tell them, you know, that that I'm coming here to win it. We, we can win this. You know, top eight, whatever. I'm not worried about that. I'm, I'm going to win it. As a, um, as a purist and looking at it, okay, there are maybe we, you know, we might not win it the first year, but my, my aspect is to coach the side to win that premiership. That's what, that's our goal, and that's, and that's how you do it. And just with the, the, uh, the, the, um, the cricket, Smithy, um, maybe, maybe this loss um, could. Uh, get us focused a lot more you know on I mean normally when you come off a loss you seem to be more focused and you do play the next game a lot better but I'm a bit worried about uh, about the side at the moment we're just you, you did right you said yesterday you know if you don't score 100 180 plus um, you probably won't win a, a win against the good sides without a doubt what do you think absolutely right uh, no doubt about that Joey we've got to set our sights very high uh, even higher than perhaps the Warriors this time around because uh, we've been knocking on the door of World Championships, uh, but uh, I, I fear that we're not in the same space going into this one that we have been in the past. That, that's just from the outside looking in. I, I'm going to try and uh, get that out of Luke Ronke after 11 o'clock actually this morning when we chat to him uh, out of Australia. 
what happened there as he concerned surely uh, as a batting coach um, we've got to be setting our sights a lot higher and what about that top order how are we going to base that Cliffy from Dunedin is uh, our last caller this morning Cliffy good morning to you yeah good morning Em um, I'll start with the league as long as we can get this guy to hang around for a bit as long as he's got a deep deep checkbook that he can he can go out there he can find players coming through he can go to some of those South Auckland schools find those boys get them signed up into into the Warriors get keep them at the Warriors don't let some other joker come over from Aussie with a checkbook and and start taking the, the cream out of our fellas you know we can't rely on Australian boys coming over here and playing for a year and then going home because they don't really want to be away and they haven't even brought their family over it just disrupts our team so much when we lose players during the year, and we don't need that. We need a good, tight squad. And I think you know, going forward, we'll give him the two or three years and see how he goes, but he needs to build a tight squad together. It can't be breaking up all the time with guys uh, deciding to go. I know after COVID, a lot of guys decided that they didn't want to stay because they've been away for a long time, and then they didn't want to come back here. But, uh, yeah, well, hopefully that will happen. But in the cricket, 2020, if we're going to bat first or we're sent in, you know, and we, it's, it's, you, can be, you can lose the game in the first five overs. If you lose too many wickets and you haven't got anything going, you know, if you're two or three down for 30 after six or seven overs, you're in trouble because you're not, you know, in 20 overs, a team chasing 150, they only need one guy to make some runs. And, and it's just so difficult to, to win a game when you haven't made enough runs. And, you know, I think we've certainly got the batting there. You know, it's, it's just such a short game that sometimes you get tipped over like we did probably last night. We didn't start off well, lost wickets, kept losing them and never made enough. And, you know, we're probably hoping to bowl first most of the time and chase. And, you know, the wickets over there, they're all a bit different. We just got to hope that, that sometimes it's a toss of a coin. If you can win the toss, you probably give yourself 70, 30 chance of winning the game. So hopefully we'll win a few tosses. Hopefully we'll win a few tosses. That's uh, not one of Kane Williamson's good things just by the by, Cliffy. But hey, thanks very much for your call. I appreciate your sentiments on both. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, we just have to. Uh, and I. I I'm not quite sure whether you know you, you, you prefer to, to chase in Australia or you prefer to set up. Australia, over the years, have always wanted to bat first and put the numbers on the board and say, if you're good enough, go get them. And if you're not, we shall put the board pressure on you and try and block you out of it. So I think there's merit in that as well. Uh, but we'll, we'll see a pattern. Uh, we'll see a pattern throughout the tournament. But what I can assure you of, uh, Cliffy, and uh, those people worrying, wondering about the World Cup uh, is we'll have good playing surfaces and wonderful outfields. Australia's premier grounds are on show for this. Uh, so we look forward to uh, the Sydney Cricket Ground on Saturday night as New Zealand's first task is a mere against Australia, a mere one against Australia. Can we? Mm, that would be special. <laughs> that would be special. 9.45 here on SENZ. The boys will make a call on the Canvas Warehouse voucher and let you know very shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 9.50 here on SENZ. Just uh, time for a couple of texts. Mikey's come in with an interesting one. Uh, the worry for me after listening to your interview with the new Warriors coach is that he sounded intelligent, passionate, yet measured and seemed to have a genuine love of the club. 
So my concern is he might make me a fan again. Oh, Lordy, I don't know if my heart can take another roller coaster of a season, especially with the Black Caps doing their best to make me a nervous wreck. Oh, well, I hope he goes well as the Warriors' hardcore fans deserve it. That's from uh, Mikey G. Good stuff. Um, Carlos come in. Hi, Smithy. My World Cup, uh, top World Cup was the 1995 Rugby World Cup. Not because of the result of the final, but the style of rugby New Zealand played leading into that game. Uh, Jonah, Zinni's drop goal, Josh Cromfield. What an amazing squad we had. The emotion of the final with Mandela there just made it a special tournament. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, and Susie, don't worry about Susie, who uh, got stuck into our lads as well with uh, the dodgy burgers, by the sounds of things. Uh, Chris has come and said uh, today, Martin Donnelly was born... I just checked that, Chris. I think he was born on the 17th, but... Um, uh, if Google is right, he was born on the 17th, uh, but certainly uh, over the last couple of days, um, he was the first player to score 200. He played seven tests with an average of 52.90. They talk about to Martin Donnelly very, very fondly, uh, those players, that uh, people that saw him play and, uh, and people that um, are historians of the game. They say he's one of our very, very best. Uh, Brian says, uh, morning in, no matter what is said or done regarding the Warriors, we can't attract class players from Australia and we can't hold our talent because of the attraction of the bright lights in the big cities in Oz. It's a huge mission for any coach. Yeah, I don't think it's um, any denying that it's going to be big for him, Brian. Uh, but it sounds like uh, and uh, on the basis of that interview, and it was only 20 minutes, <coughs> he's got all the right ideas and, and um, he's... he's uh, and judging by the reaction from the people coming in that we've had already on the show, um, he's going to have a backing too. It's 9.52 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, the Black Caps let us down yesterday because we did get the Eagles up to beat the Cowboys and the Phillies to beat the Padres, but uh, New Zealand lost to South Africa very, very heavily indeed, so we missed out there. Uh, today we'll uh, do a bit of a mix as well. We'll throw in uh, some football, some uh, that's NFL. We'll throw in some uh, baseball and some uh, cricket as well. Try that mix once more. Uh, the Chargers today to beat the Broncos at a dollar forty-three. That's Monday night football American time. Uh, the Yankees uh, go back to New York uh, for Game Five in the best of five series with uh, the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, the Yankees at home will be favourites there at a dollar sixty-two. And Netherlands, the Netherlands to beat Namibia. Now Namibia caused that massive upset over Sri Lanka the other day. This is T Twenty World Cup qualifiers. Uh, and, of course, um, the Netherlands got up to beat the UAE quite comfortably. The Netherlands are at $2.40. I think that's uh, quite generous odds, to be honest. Very generous odds. $5.56, then, if you multi up the charges into the Yankees into the Netherlands at uh, $5.56 for today's multi. Uh, don't forget uh, those texts. Keep them coming in. Double eight, double three. your favourite World Cups. Logan and I will do our favourite uh, World Cups as part of our Mount Rushmore at about 11.40 this morning. Coming up to uh, the news very shortly. Um, also, uh, you can uh, call us if you like on 0800 150 811 if you've got any opinions on what you've heard uh, so far this morning. Uh, we've got a clip to play uh, from Dean Lonigan after in the next hour as well on the fortunes of uh, David Nika. Have a panel. Uh, and shortly after the news, of course, coming up with uh, Aroha, we'll be talking to Josh Geary, who won the Charles Tour event at Clearwater 
over the weekend. So uh, plenty to come up in the next hour here on SENZ. Well, we love our golf uh, on the show and uh, we're going to focus on that right here and now because uh, we've looked very extensively at uh, Live Golf, of course the PGA and uh, the DP World Tour as well as others, but uh, we're going to go local now to the Charles Tour and this is a good story. We're going to be talking to Josh Geary very shortly. He entered the final day of the Clearwater Open in the share of the lead uh, and then finished over the top of them with a brilliant finish down uh, 17 and 18 in particular, holding his nerves uh, to take out the title. Um, so that's really cool news uh, as we welcome Josh into the show. Thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Good, good to be on, mate. Hey, you broke uh, you broke a bit of a hoodoo at Clearwater. That was uh, pleasing for you as well because you've gone close there. Yeah, it's been a few years, but uh, finally got some revenge, I guess. A couple of uh, of uh, close calls over the you know a few years ago now, but um, it was nice to finish strongly this time. Okay, so um, tell us a wee bit uh, about the Charles Tour. I mean, uh, we've got one round to go, um, and you're in contention to win it. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I've sort of made a bit of a catch-up on Sam there, so uh, I've got one more event in Taranaki this week, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a good showdown. I mean, that's, I think, Sam's home course, and the way he's been playing, it's going to be uh, hard to beat him, but um, I think I'm up for the challenge. He sounds like a, a very interesting and uh, exciting young prospect, Sam Jones. He is, yeah. Um, hits the ball a long way, which is, is pretty key these days, uh, and he's also pretty accurate too. So, yeah, the type of form he's in, it's just sort of um, showing sort of what potential he has. What were your thoughts, Josh, uh, going down uh, 16, 17, 18? Uh, I knew I needed a couple of birdies. I was playing with Sam, and it might have been, I think, two shots behind. Uh, and 16 was quite a key hole, was that par three over water. Um, and I had a great shot in there, nearly nearly actually holed out for a one and uh, had a tap in birdie and then, yeah, managed to um, birdie the last two as well. So it was just a sort of good timing to uh, to come right. Uh, tell us a wee bit about the course that lays ahead of you for, um, for Taranaki, for the last leg. Yeah, I mean, the weather plays a big part down there. It can get quite windy. So, um, you know, ball controls at a premium. And from what I've heard, the roughs is getting pretty thick, which is which is good. We don't get um, to play too many events on, on courses which, which have decent roughs, kind of like tour conditions. So it's going to be definitely a premium on, uh, on accuracy, which will be a nice change. You've been battling a, a few little niggles uh, with hip and back issues. Uh, how's the body? Uh, it was good last week. Just sort of, yeah, first time I've had to withdraw from a tournament, um, which is, you know, uh, bound to happen at some point. But luckily it wasn't too bad of a, an issue. And I'm, I'm glad I did pull out rather than pushing through it because I could have uh, done some damage that may have lasted a while. But no, the body's feeling pretty good. Um, I'll get it sorted for this week and, and we'll be away. You didn't, you didn't catch up with uh, Israel Dagg and rub shoulders with him after his, uh, his 100, did you? I did actually. <laughs> had a had a few words to him afterwards. He was a bit gutted obviously to, to make that big number down one of the par fives there and I think he got a bit of a bit of a wake up call to, you know, professional golf, um, how kind of tough it can be at times. What what is for the, for those amateurs who um might play those courses, there'll be members of Clearwater that of course uh, followed you guys around, etc. What are the is it, is it more a distance thing, uh, than anything else? Definitely helps. It's a combination of yeah, distance plus the accuracy. I guess the um, 
they put the pins in slightly harder locations. The greens could be slightly faster, and then just the pressure of I guess every shot counts, and and um, you're just dealing with with tournament pressure. It's, it's slightly different than just your average relax around the golf. And and once you're not used to it, and you're a bit tense, and you'll hit some shots where you sort of surprise. If you're not used to it, surprise yourself, and and just can't quite figure out why that happened and and why you were maybe your tempo's a bit quicker because you're nervous, managing your heart rate, all that sort of stuff, the breathing. So, yeah, there's a lot more um, intricacies to the tournament golf than just your Saturday round. Josh, Ryan Ryan Fox, of course, uh, won it last year, uh, picking up a couple of victories towards the end. Um, what would it mean uh, for you to have uh, your name on that trophy? Yeah, it'd be pretty awesome, mate. Um, you know, any trophy these days is getting harder to win, and especially with the crop of young talent coming through. So it would be pretty cool to um, to get my name on that trophy. I don't think I've won it before, and it just sort of, um, yeah, would cap off a nice a nice year for me. You're 37, um, which is young by a lot of people's sporting standards, but you, you keep referring to these young guys. Do, do you feel do you feel you, you feel quite like one of the old blokes when, when you tee it up in this tour? Uh, I do now, yeah. Even, um, I guess, not so much the bigger tours like European or PGA Tour. There's a lot of guys in my, my age range doing well. But uh, definitely at home here, yeah, it's, it's definitely dominated by the, the younger crowd. Um, do feel a bit older, but it's always nice to get one up on the young bloke. Uh, Josh, uh, I, I would imagine, I, I, and I sincerely hope, you, you're going to play um, in our Open in March next year? Yeah, mate, I'll be there. I uh, can't miss that one. It's one of my favourite events, so I'll be down there for that. And, and the good news is uh, Stevie Elkis uh, confirmed that he will be playing there. There's doubts whether Foxy will be able to make it, but certainly Stevie Elka there. Um, and you've had pretty good history down there, mate, shooting a course record of uh, 63, 8 under. Um, amazing. So uh, you can enter that tournament with uh, a little bit of confidence, I'd imagine. Yeah, look, I love playing down in uh, Arrowtown there. I always seem to have some good success, and it's sort of hard not to enjoy the week off the course too. There's just, you know, the scenery and just the place itself is pretty special. So, yeah, I'm going in there with a bit of confidence after that last round there on a new course, shooting 63. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that for sure. What are the uh, differences uh, in the new layout? Because um, this will be the first time it's used as such, and, and specifically to Millbrook as opposed to other tournaments around uh, Queenstown. Yeah, there's definitely a bit more strategy involved in that new nine holes. Um, there's definitely um, some risk-reward options there. Uh, there could be a lot of irons played off the tees as well, so pretty similar it plays very similar to the rest of the course which is which is nice and it's a you know great bit of land up there it's um you sort of feel like you're you know thousands of miles away from from anywhere so um yeah i think strategy will be a big one there's a lot of bunkers that are kind of placed in niggly spots so it'll be interesting to see how how it blows come come the open the other thing um and just talking uh, going back to Stephen alka what an amazing turnaround his career has had, Josh. Um, are you inspired by that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Stevie's done it pretty, oh, I don't know about tough, but he's, he's grounded out for probably 20-odd odd years now, and it's it's really, uh, you know, come to fruition for him, and he's, he's starting to dominate on that tour. So it's, it's very inspiring. Um, he stayed competitive, I guess, on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour now for up until that, which obviously would have been a big help, um, and then just came in there firing. So... Definitely inspiring, yeah. 
So what about uh, the next uh, 12 months or so for Josh Geary? How is it looking? Yeah, I think I might um, try and head to the Asian Tour qualifying in January. Um, just having my first child six months ago, I sort of want to get a bit more time at home and, and travel a little bit less. Um, so ideally get somewhere like Asia and Australia uh, for the next few months and then, and then go from there. Uh, are they um, they attract, of course, um, the uh, the official world golf rankings at points as well, of course? Yeah, they would. Yeah, they do, uh, Asian Tour is included in that, so they would uh, yeah be right with points. Okay, so uh, Josh, we ask uh, all the golfers and that we talk to on this, what do you make of LIV? I mean, if, if the phone did ring, say you won the New Zealand Open, the phone rang the next day, um, are you open-minded about the whole deal? Definitely open-minded, yeah. Uh, I think what it's done in terms of shaking up the PGA Tour and European Tour is probably long-term good for golf. I mean, I guess people don't realise the expense of playing those tours and there's no guaranteed income. So, I mean, having a major tour card doesn't mean you're going to make money. So I think now with that new rule with the PGA Tour having the $500,000 minimum, things like that will start to happen, which I do believe you deserve once you get there. It's sort of... It's a pretty hard not getting there, and then all of a sudden, if you miss your first four or five cuts, you're out of pocket, twenty or thirty k. So it's a bit of a pretty harsh sport in that in that regard. And I think a little bit of guaranteed money uh, on all the tours will be the next wave. And I think that the lids kicked that off. So I think it's good in that regard, and, and it's been a, um, good for players like myself and that seeing those benefits coming in. I don't. I don't quite. Uh, I mean, I, I always go back to the book I read, uh, "Good Walk Spoiled" by uh, Feinstein, which was one of the terif- most terrific uh, sports books uh, I've ever read about. And it's basically, obviously, about uh, Q school uh, and just how tough it is. And I, I'm not quite sure many people appreciate the pressures involved. Um, and and the with the bulk of the players, I mean, we're, we're talking about the eighty percenters. Uh, we're not talking about the cream of the crop right up the top there. The 80 percenters who actually grind and grind and grind week after week. Uh, it's it's tough. It must be tough mentally on you guys. Oh, it is, absolutely. And that's why you sort of need um, to take your breaks when you can because physically it's not too bad as long as your body's in decent shape. But, yeah, it's, it's the mind that takes a bit of a hammering. Um, I guess you just in golf you're basically losing all the time and you win now and then. But... Most other sports, you have a lot more success. Maybe it's match to match, you have a lot more wins. But in golf, you sort of get knocked around a fair bit more. So you definitely have to be you know, mentally strong to be able to handle that and uh, and take your breaks when you can. Do you keep in touch with uh, the guys playing on the other tours? Uh, uh, you know, Ryan with Dan Hillier, etc. Maybe Stevie Elka or Danny Lee even. Do you, do you guys sort of keep in touch as a Kiwi brigade or not? Uh, definitely with Foxy and Dan, yeah, I, I haven't uh, spoken to Stevie for a while, but when he's back, if I see him, I'll definitely catch up with him. But um, yeah, Foxy and Dan, I've, you know, we've been over there traveling together and playing the old event together, so we'd get together for dinner or you know, have a practice round here and there. So it's um, it's good to have those boys over there because the last few years have been pretty lean with only one, maybe two Kiwis out there. But uh, it's been good to have, yeah, I've been uh, running with Dan a bit, um, travel with him, yeah, and uh, hang out with Foxy a fair bit too. So. That's always good. Get you a little sort of taste of home when you when you're overseas. Just finally, Josh, uh, what we're Tuesday morning now. What's your program leading into Taranaki now? Uh, I just flew back home last night, and I, so I've got a day of uh, <laughs> washing and all the fun stuff, getting stuff ready for this week. Uh, and I'll probably drive down tonight or tomorrow morning and 
play the pro-am tomorrow, then straight into it on uh, on Thursday morning. In an average week of preparation, say, you, you know, how many golf balls would you hit before you, you tee it up? Um, quite a lot. I mean, one, you're obviously playing probably five times a week with the pro-am. Oh, sorry, probably six times with the practice round, pro-am, and the four rounds. So, I mean, you're probably only... On a tournament week, you're probably only hitting, I don't know, maybe 100 balls in a day, plus you're around the golf. It takes up a fair bit of time with your warm-up and all that. Um, so, yeah, quite a lot. It's basically six days a week and then a day of travel. So it's pretty pretty full-on when you're on tour. What about the coaching side of things? What's your set up there, Josh? Uh, I've got a coach in Australia right now, um, Ian Godleyman, he's an English guy, who I really haven't seen in person since pre-COVID. So it was all that time we couldn't travel and... He was kind of stuck in Australia. I was stuck here. So I've done a bit online, um, through video chat and all that sort of stuff, which which is good. It's not as good as being in person. So I'm well overdue for a, a trip to see him. But uh, heaven's like to Aussie the last few weeks have been a couple of thousand bucks return. So I might wait for that to calm down before I go and see him. Josh Geary, uh, terrific to catch up with you. Congratulations on that win in Clearwater and uh, all the best in New Plymouth this weekend. Uh, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks. Cheers, mate. No worries. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Good. Josh Geary there, uh, fresh from his success at Clearwater uh, and uh, a real a real sniff, actually, at taking out the Charles Tour this time around and then, of course, looking forward to the New Zealand Open in March and uh, speak to every golfer, every golfer um, around the world, uh, even the very best, love to see their name on their own country's trophy and that will be uh, an absolute goal for... Um, and it doesn't matter if you've done it once... Get it on there as many times as you can. Rack it right up there. So uh, very important, uh, those uh, weeks coming up for Josh Geary and those guys that have to work exceptionally hard, exceptionally hard for the cream that they get. It's 10.16 here on SENZ panel shortly. The voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. We have Mark Hinton and Graham Beasley with us this morning. And uh, Graham Beasley, if I could start with you, if you were a true cr- cricket tragic, looking at the uh, lead up for the Black Caps into this T Twenty World Cup, you might be a little bit concerned. A little bit concerned, but I don't think we should read too much into these warm up matches. Um, so, for example, at the last World T Twenties last year when we made the final, how did we go in the warm up games there? And the answer would be nobody can really remember. Um, yeah, it was quite a strange side they picked yesterday. Um, a few of the big names missing, etc. So while it's never good to be beaten by nine wickets and just so completely comprehensively as that, I don't think we should read too much into it. I think we should read more into actually the final on Friday for the Bangladesh um, Trophy, how we let that one go through our fingers. Yeah, that, that was interesting. Um, and um, the fact that we can still... The thing that worries me, Graham, uh, ever so slightly, is I'm not quite sure if we've got a starting 11 in our mind. No, I think the all-rounder positions, um, and particularly the spinners, um, how are we going to go there? And I guess that's been a little bit made, made, made more confusing by the fact that Santner didn't, didn't play in any of the games in Christchurch. And, and he traditionally is a, a pretty important part of a starting 11, so we don't quite know where he will fit in, who he will replace. Um, will they go with Sodi? Will they go with Bracewell? I think, I think that side of things is still uncertain. And also, is 
if and when Daryl Mitchell comes back, who's, whose place does he take? Mm, very so, interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, yeah. I think there are a few slots up in the air. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and Mark Hinton, uh, to me, that is very non-black cap-like. Normally one of the things you associate the black caps with is um, not selection issues uh, to this point. Yeah, I guess it speaks to a bit of depth options. Uh, in, a, in a way, that's a good thing. But you always want your top team to be settled, don't you? I mean, you know, we talk about it with the All Blacks. We want that, we want that top line-up. You know, to to play together regularly to get that feel, that rhythm. So yeah, the same would apply to the Black Caps. So while they do have options, do they have in form options? Look, I would play Bracewell. I think they have to find a way for him. He's a match winner, isn't he? With bat, certainly with bat, and you know, and can can contribute with ball as well. You know, I I think T20 is a game, Smithy, as you know, where you have to go on the attack. I don't think you can have a defensive mindset at all. So we have to play the guys who we think are going to win matches, are going to um, change matches, turn matches. Um, I think that's the only policy you can take to, to beat the Aussies on their home turf and, and the likes of India, South Africa, England. I think we've got, you know, this Black Cats team isn't in the sort of form, Smithy, that's, that you are going to say they, they, they can live with those best teams you know, just by going out and playing normal cricket, they are going to have to play out of their trees. They're going to have to play out of the box. And I think uh, uh, it's all about the mindset for those guys. Well, if we beat uh, Australia, it would be uh, overcoming a major barrier on uh, Saturday night, Mark. But uh, let's, not, uh, look, let's not look too far past uh, what's happened already in the qualifiers. Uh, Namibia knocking over Sri Lanka. You wouldn't see that very often. And yesterday... Um, Scotland absolutely pummeling the West Indies, which I sort of predicted because I just don't rate the West Indies. I'm sorry. No, if, if any team's going to, going to fall to a so-called minnow, it's the West Indies, isn't it? You know, on their day they can they can match anyone, but on their day they can also lose to anyone. Very inconsistent team in the modern era, and uh, I loved it. You know, I think I think all sport is kind of defined by how. Um, but how it's second tier can compete with the top tier, and to see a you know an upset, I think is good for cricket. And then to see it done in an innovative way, the, the Scotland spinner Mark Watt bowling from you know meters short of the crease, evidently bamboozling the West Indies uh, batsman. You know that that's great. That's what T20 is about. T- you know, doing something different, taking chances, as I talked about before. So. Wonderful for the game, wonderful for the tournament that there's been an upset and, and, and the good old Scots, the powerhouses of cricket, have done it. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait uh, for Saturday night. I've got to say at the SCG, sold out. Sold out. What an occasion to uh, pull off a surprise, and that would be. Um, uh, Graham uh, Adi Savir, I think, uh, day in, day out, has been uh, our best rugby player uh, this calendar year, maybe a, bit, a wee bit longer than that, actually. And news coming through yesterday that uh, following the 2024 um, year, he will be heading off um, to uh, Japan uh, to take a well-deserved sabbatical. Yeah, kind of is uh, uh, just how things are these days, really, isn't it? Um, and uh, if anyone has earned the right to um, to have that time off and, and 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 make a little bit of money before coming back and playing in this country again, it is Artie Severe. He just gives you know, he just gives it everything. Um, as you say, he's been the best player in the country for the last few years. He basically holds that hurricane side together single-handedly. Um, so, so while it is going to be sad to see him, him, him go away, there's there's just no real surprise or shock factor in that anymore. I think that's all just um, 
part and parcel of having uh, an all-black career. Coming with that, though, uh, Mark, is the fact that when you come back, uh, the tendency is you're not quite up to scratch back here. Yeah, look, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? I mean, you can look at it two ways. We've seen the likes of TJ Perinara, Patrick Tuipulutu come back from um, slightly different stints. There's, I don't think they were a part of their contract, but um, neither of those, both of those guys, are, you know, experienced All Blacks, haven't been able to reclaim their uh, their, their, their places. Or Patrick Tuipulutu uh, made some appearances, but hasn't made the end of year tour squad. Um, so neither of those guys have kind of fired. But then you look at the Sam Whitelock. I thought last November um, he he looked tired and looked past his best, but he's he's played his best rugby um, in quite some time this year. And maybe that Japan stint, you know, in some ways has, has helped him do that. So I guess there's two ways to look at it. Look, Artie Savia, there, there is no one in the New Zealand game that puts his body on the line like this guy. I, you said he's been our best player for the last year. I think he's been our best player for the last three years. He is um, just a wonderful exponent, but he, you know, he puts his body through more than anybody. And I think something like this, it's almost as strategic as it is a, you know, a kind of a money earner, um, a little bonus kind of for him as far as the salary goes. I think it's strategic as well. He need, Japan isn't as physical the game up there. He needs a little bit of a rest if he's to go another, another cycle, uh, Smithy. So I think all told on the balance, I think this is a good move from Savia. Um, it keeps them around. Look, this is a time when we've got professional clubs in England folding. A real concern for the professional game. New Zealand, you know, continues to keep our top players around um, and our, all our teams viable, and we do it by being innovative uh, with contracts like this. So I've got no problems at all with Ali Savia going. It's uh, coming up to 10.30 here on SCNZ. We've got uh, Mark Hinton and Graham Beasley with us. We'll take a short break for the news with uh, Aroha. Uh, when we come back, fellas, I, I might ask you a question that we didn't put on the uh, agenda this morning, but are you happy with uh, this All Black 15 being called that? Or should there just be one All Black team? One goal to be an All Black is to play at the ultimate level. Should we have the All Black name attached to some of these other sides that we are picking these days? i.e. the Sevens, uh, i.e. the Maori All Blacks. Um, should they just be New Zealand Maori? Um, I'd just like to give you a minute or two to think about it, and we'll be back shortly. Here's Aroha. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, Mark Hinton and Graham Beasley with us this morning, and the reason I uh, asked that question about uh, the All Blacks being the All Blacks as such is... Uh, bit of a topic in the pub the other day and it became well, so it became quite heated uh, but I think the majority sort of said well there should just be one all black team and uh, one all black team to aspire to uh, Graham Beasley what are your thoughts on that? Um, I couldn't agree more really I think you know how many how many times can you go to the well and just sort of try to get money out of the same thing um, I've mixed some metaphors a bit there but um, no I don't like it I don't Sevens team being called the all blacks um, seventh I think that's that takes away from the um, from the manner of the All Black name, Maori All Blacks. I think it's going to be hard to dial that one back um, because they've been playing like that for quite a while now. I don't have so much of a problem with that. But this um, New Zealand A team um, should be called that, um, and, to, and to try and sort of link them to the All Blacks. I don't know if they're doing that to try and sort of sucker a few um, a few punters in in the Northern Hemisphere to buy tickets for those games, not quite realising who they're uh, going to be watching. Um, 
if that's the case, I don't particularly like it either. Um, so yeah, I, I yeah, I I just think it's wrong and it's demeaning to the um to the whole brand and name of the All Blacks. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. And and Mark, what it can, might concern me ever so slightly, I might be being a touch cynical here, is but the All Black brand is big. It's massive around the world. The All Black, the All Blacks, the All Blacks. Everyone knows that. Um, so if you attach it to many more things, you get much more out of it. Or do you dilute it? You dilute it. Look, I'm with you guys, and I just think this is a no-brainer. It's straight out money-grabbing. It's straight out putting commercialism ahead of the history and identity of the game. Uh, you know, um, and it will do harm. I think it will do harm. It will chip away at this All Blacks brand. It's bad enough. You know, a team that uh, All Blacks team that's you know lost three in a row at home this year, lost four tests. Maybe we'll end the year losing five tests if they don't upset England at Twickenham. Those results alone are, are you know affecting the All Blacks brand. And when you've got t- all these other teams called the All Blacks, they're not the All Blacks. There's one All Blacks team. Look, it's it's straight out commercialism ruling ruling your decision making. And for years, um, New Zealand rugby had an attitude about what we're talking about, that there is one All Blacks team. And look, there's another name. It's not too bad. New Zealand. Use the name New Zealand and be proud of it. New, the New Zealand 15 or New Zealand A-side or New Zealand Maori or New Zealand 7s team. There's nothing wrong with that name. I don't think adding the All Blacks uh, creates any magical powers. Uh, it just confuses people. As Graham said about that All Blacks 15, there's um, there's going to be punters that think they're watching the All Blacks. I, there's nothing more mm. certain about it, and that and that, and that's disturbing. Look, it, it's one of the many things New Zealand rugby have got wrong in the modern era. You know why they're doing it, Smithy. Um, it's about dollars and not cents. Yeah, well, very good. I like that. Um, here we go, uh, Mark Hinton. Uh, we'll just change tack a wee bit to. Uh, uh, a little basketball and uh, Mark how about them breakers nice start loving it three wins in a row Smithy I was looking um, doing my research this morning 27-18 was, was the last time um, the breakers started like that they started nine and won that year losing their first game they went on the nine game winning streak but uh, um, so you have to go back a while they made the semis or a playoff team that year so good signs um, and, the, and the most important thing is um I guess what we're hearing from the new coach, Modi Mayor, um, when he when he was appointed, when he assembled a squad, right from minute one, he said, we're going to be a tough, defensive-minded group. We're going to hang our hat on our competitive, competitiveness, our grittiness, our toughness. Uh, he's been as good as his word. He's got a group that plays hard together. They're defending the heck out of... Um, uh, you know, when they from the minute they step on court to the minute they step off, and it's keeping them in games, and they're winning them at the moment. So um, great to see Smithy, but it's very, very early days, and they're going to have to figure out ways to get better offensively, which I think will come from a new group that's still learning to play together. But when you play defense, pretty much in all sports and all ball sports, it gives you a hell of a good chance because it's a, it, it's it's a part of the game that's not so much skill based, but is effort. Based. And if you come out and play defence, you have a chance in every game. Also, if you win on the road too, I think that's a big factor. Particularly, good uh, You know, yeah. when you when you when you have got now, of course, with a, a basically a normal season as such, with inverted commas, uh, you're going to have a lot of home games as well. So, uh, which they haven't had in the past uh, couple of years. Uh, outstanding start, uh, Graham. I think uh, for a franchise that uh, towards the end of 
uh, last year really couldn't wait for it to finish. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's early days, obviously, but it, uh, it is quite turnaround, isn't it, given, as you say, it was, it was a bit of a shocker last year, and obviously the whole COVID situation and being away from home and, and all that kind of stuff really seems if they, um, if they finish that season sort of uh, coming home in an ambulance. So um, to turn it around so, so quickly and with such a promising start, and as you say, being able to do it on the road, um, uh, really good signs. And I'd, I'd expect they'll, they'll get some really good crowds back at home this year too. I think they absolutely will. Um, Graham, in Wayne Smith we trust, do we? Uh, two weeks into the Rugby Women's World Cup, how are we feeling? Yeah, I think we're feeling pretty good. I think we do trust them. They, um, as, as a team, they seem to be playing um, uh, a lot more as a team um, and, and, and with a smile on their faces, etc. How they're going to go against France and England, I don't think anyone knows, really. It's, um, and, and they aren't really going to be confronted up front by any of the teams until they, they get there. You know, they're likely to get Wales again, for example, in the quarterfinals, my understanding of, of the way that the draw is falling. Um, so they, they won't have had that opportunity to practice against teams like that. Um, but I think if they can hold their own against... I mean, I think particularly against France, I think they should be able to hold their own up front there. Um, and so if they can do that, they should be able to beat them. The big unknown is England, really. Um, and and yeah. even though the England win against France in the weekend was close on the scoreboard, um, I do think that they they were clearly the better side. Early days um, for this tournament as well, uh, Mark Hinton, but uh, a report card on the event itself and, and the Black Ferns for you? Yeah, look, I've enjoyed it. Smithy, I covered the um, Japan-USA game um, just off the tally for, for stuff uh, on Saturday and, and really enjoyed it. The Japanese were a tiny group of young women and I thought it was going to be a really hard day for them. You know, uh, physically, you can be just monsters in rugby, but they played so well. They played their game at pace with the width, and as we know, the way the Japanese men play, when they, you know, they have been able to turn that into a really effective style at the international level. So some heartening signs, I guess, that, you know, I guess below the big three. Look, there's a real big three feel about it, um, um, isn't there, you know, uh, and the Black Ferns have got a cream puff pool, there's no uh, ways to disguise that, uh, you know, um, they're just not going to be tested before the, uh, probably before the semi-final, so there are going to be a lot of unknowns, but I like the buzz around the event, um, it's a bit of a shame there's no matches um, through the week, and I get why that is, because they want it to be a level playing field, but the, the tournament kind of, um, um, I guess, loses a little bit of a um, sort of momentum um, uh, uh, during the week and it gives us time to talk about things and to analyse and all those sort of things but uh, yeah so far so good um, but I still think at the moment nothing I've seen changes my view that the Black Ferns um, are going to have to come up with something special I think they're still third favourites behind England and France who look to be playing at another level can they do it? Of course they can I think they've got the coaches, they've got the players, they've got the talent but they are going to have to find another level and nothing's Change my view there. Okay, Mark Hinton and Graham Beasley have been our panellists this morning. Uh, thank you very much, uh, gentlemen, for uh, the thoughts across the board on those particular matters. And uh, yeah, a question mark still remain England and France for our ladies, but uh, they can only do what they can do, uh, what's in front of them, and they've done it pretty damn well so far. And what's more is they've uh, portrayed a wonderful image around it too. It's been good for women's rugby, good for women's sport. It's 10.41 here 
on SENZ. Drama-filled uh, final that was. And the 2008 Rugby League World Cup as well. So uh, Martin gone across the board there with uh, three, four sports. Brilliant, absolutely. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, Margaret has come in and said, uh, Hi, Smithy, who was left out of the team that lost so badly to South Africa? Uh, was Devon playing? Well, um, my understanding is that uh, Devon Conway did not play at all. Um, and Trent Bolt didn't play either. So, uh, Margaret, at least we can rest easy on the fact that both of those two guys, if fit, will be part of the starting eleven. Now, it's an interesting one for me why they left Conway out. And uh, I've, I've said in the past, that uh, just recently, that um, Martin Guptill would not be in the starting eleven. Um, I find that interesting then uh, why you'd play him uh, and not given Den- give Denver given Conway um, more uh, experience in Australian conditions, bearing in mind he hasn't played a lot there. Uh, the only two things I can think of here, and I'm not muckraking or being a, a little bit um, brown spoony here, wooden spoony, brown spoon, yeah. Um, I would be thinking um, Devin Conway might have a small injury. That's um, point one, point two. They're still not absolutely certain uh, on the big occasion come Saturday night whether they would prefer to have Finn Allen and Martin Guptill. So they had a bit of a, a bat-off yesterday, a bit of a trial innings between them. Um, and I think it's fair to say Guptill won that, Martin Guptill won that. Uh, uh, he was top scorer. It wasn't great because uh, we only got 98, but uh, 26, I think, from 22. Uh, Martin Guptill um, might have made a small statement yesterday. They gave him an opportunity at number three, and he did pretty well down there in Christchurch as well. Uh, just a reminder too that the Breakers should have won their first match as well. Uh, absolutely right, lost in overtime, so they could be four and zero. And Ted's come in and said, uh, "Why does it bother people so much what the name of teams are? If you want to change, if you go put your money in and change it, I'd say the people who run the show have done their homework on it and crunched the numbers." Ted, you're right. That will be a marketing thing. There's no other reason for it. Um, but but it's, oh, look, I'm old school. I just wonder what Wilson Winneray and Fred Allen and Colin Meads, Brian Lahore, Kel Tremaine uh, would think of uh, the All Black team being, uh, the All Black logo, the All Black name being tossed around so many different teams these days um, when it really should just be the one team in my mind and that is the pinnacle. Old school, I'm old school Ted, you're clearly not, but that's cool. All opinions uh, matter to us here on SENZ. It's 10.49 and we'll be back with that. Louis Herman Watt and uh, I think Brendan Popwell this morning. Voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. We have Louis Herman Watt with us uh, this morning, and uh, I love this time of the year. The Caulfield Cup sort of snuck up on us a wee bit, but I'm not letting the same thing happen to the Cox Plate and the Manicato Stakes, uh, Mooney Valley, Louis Herman Watt. They're not round, not far away. No, Smithy, this weekend. Now, this morning, they just had their uh, Breakfast of Champions gallop. Um, and, man, I've just been back, and I've had a look at some of the replays. I'll tell you what, Mr. Brightside has galloped up a storm, but Zaki just skipped over the turf at the valley. Uh, a couple of good judges were suggesting that it's going to be wet. Now, it's funny with the, this carnival, right, because they have the Manicado, which is a great sprint, and I just think it sets up so nicely for Paul Lally um, on Friday night. But they, 
Like, here's one for you, Smitty, and, and everybody on, on Double A, Double Three. Do we like the fact that we chop up the track of the Cox Plate with a Group 1 sprint the night before just so we can have a kind of a carnival? Or do you just want it to be all about the Cox Plate and you want to give the, the turf as much time? Because it sounds like it's going to be wet. It's been so wet in Victoria. Do we need to have them Friday night, Saturday? It's a great, uh, I tell you what, it's a great double. I've done it. It's a fantastic double, Louis, and uh, the punters absolutely rock to it. Uh, not quite as big a crowd on the Friday night, but it's very, very substantial. Uh, and in good weather, I mean, it's a hell of a, it's a, it really is. It's a, it's a hell of a night out, and it's a hell of a precursor. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, take, no, take your point. And, and it, is, it is epic, and it has been like this for a long time. And no, having them fly around the night racing, culminating there at the Manicato, and, and, and it gives a different dynamic to it. But I, I'm just a bit worried. Like, if this track gets absolutely bashed up, and it's bottomless, mm. and it's like a heavy 30, I mean, are we going to see the right horse win? And I just, the other th- I want the right horse to win the Cox Plate. Yeah, yeah, it's true because it's had such a fine tradition of great horses. Of course, um, you know, uh, my mind goes back on the ones that have won it, and there's so many of them. Uh, but, Louis, here's the thing. Uh, the pattern of racing is always interesting as well because there's no way in the world uh, Paul Ellie will have the time and that straight to barge through the way that Jimmy got it through last time. No, 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 that's exactly right. Um, look, I think a, a lot of the time... The, the, the Manicato and all those sprint races at the Valley are so pace-dependent. Like, if something can get a good draw bounce to the lead and stack them up with not too much pressure, yeah, usually ping off the bend and they're just too fast in sprint. But if they go hectic and, you know, I haven't had a look at the speed map, but, and obviously there are, just going through the field, there are horses that love to get up on pace, and that's why they, a lot of the time, end up at the Valley. Well, all of a sudden, then the back markers come into it, and i tell you what, there's no better sight in racing then back markers swooping at the valley. Because it is that short bend, they kind of hang off the corners and they come rolling over the top. And, like, I've been caught out many a times looking, you know, backing an on-pacer and watching it, and then all of a sudden something comes from the clouds. And the other thing I would say, Smithy, is when you think Cox Plate, you think recent years winks, those four in a row. Well, actually, a lot of the time, I was watching all the replays. She actually was coming... Um, kind of five, six, seven lanes wide because they had been chopped up the night before at the races. So it's not mm. actually unusual to see them coming off the fence for the Cox Plate anyway. I can't wait, mate. We'll talk about it all week long. Okay, thanks very much, uh, Louis Herman. What uh, proud history of watching uh, the Cox Plate too will be Brendan Popwell, of course, and Pops. Uh, we've got some sports betting to talk about today, including Monday night footy. We certainly do, Smithy. Good morning to you. And what I can tell you is we've had a decent bet on one of the power plays here. Good luck to this punter. $1,000 on Russell Wilson to throw 300 passing yards and three passing touchdowns uh, at $12. Broncos couldn't get anywhere near scoring a touchdown in their last game. Uh, They've been woeful along with Russell Wilson, but uh, that punter's keen to get involved there. What I will tell you here, the Chargers are well favoured. 146 against the Broncos, who are 275. We've taken good money around the LA Chargers. Quickly, too, on some T20 cricket uh, across the Tasman. Uh, we've got Namibia, who are $1.60 against the Netherlands at 223 after what happened the other day. And, of course, Sri Lanka are 108 against the UAE. And you can get your T20 early payouts. They scored 200 runs in the first innings. You'll get paid out as a winner. Or if they're restricted to 120, you'll also get paid out as a winner. BP, thanks very much. Just personally, I'm all over the Dutch. All over the Dutch on this one. I just believe they're a slightly better side. 
and I think they're great value at those odds. Uh, we shall be talking to Luke Ronke on the subject of cricket straight after the news here with Aroha. Little for guys, so it was sort of wasn't an ideal sort of situation, but it is something that we got to push through. How are the injury issues? You've had a few uh, throughout the series at home. Uh, what are we looking now? Is everyone uh, fully fit to to go game one if required? Uh, outside of Daryl Mitchell, everyone's cracking uh, along really nicely. Mossy and, and Milne um, have been getting some good overs under their belt and feeling really good. So with Daryl and his his broken hand at the moment, we're still he's been ruled out for the first game, but uh, hopefully he'll be good to go after that. So, so uh, in essence, um, we've had a few texts in this morning, Luke. What, what went wrong yesterday uh, from the outset there? Oh, look, I mean, the surface wasn't fantastic to start. It sort of has been undercover for for a few hours beforehand. We sort of had half an hour to covers off and get out there, so it was quite tacky and soft. Uh, and as you know, see, with this Brisbane weather, it, things can dry out pretty quick when it gets hot and humid. So it sort of, um, that just played out that way. And the, the guys were... We're trying their best at times, but I think also got a bit frustrated with how it was all panning out. So uh, it was nothing, nothing concerning. I think it was just sort of what was in front of us um, for that match. So it was unfortunate, but it's again we got another training session today, practice game tomorrow, and then into the into the big stuff in a couple of days' time. You're the batting coach, Luke. Yeah, you keep a very close eye on that kind of thing. Um, are you, are, if you take into account the series at home, the tri series as such. Um, are you happy where we're at, or are you just a little bit concerned with the odd individual? No, we're actually tracking nicely. I think at the start of that that tri series at home, we sort of from where we were to where we finished. Uh, I guess the progressions we were making as a group, not as individuals as a group, I think um, was really good to see. And I think sort of leading into into this World Cup is actually quite exciting. I think again, um, there's going to be double-headed games on same surfaces and, and teams sort of chopping and changing venues, so it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see sort of the, the wear and tear on surfaces and the sort of adaptability you have to to have as a unit to, to make the most of sort of different grounds. I think that's something we've we've done really, really well over the years, so uh, it may come into effect again here. So it's, it's something that we pride ourselves on and it's, it's something we trust the guys with, so it's, it's an exciting time coming forward. Uh, just before we, we finish on yesterday, they managed to knock them off on 11 overs, uh, 100 for one. So uh, the bowling side of things, um, well, uh, they dominated, uh, let's be fair, on that scoreline. Yeah, they did. And it, again, it was sort of the wicket did get better and, and it was just sort of the way it is. I mean, it's, it's T20 and the nature of the surface was they were going to come out right there and so um, whack the ball around and, he, and he's someone who's at the top of their order to do that. Uh, and our guys, that they understood that. They were sort of trying to get through what they needed to get through to make sure that sort of our preparation sort of flows nicely into that first game of the World Cup. So confidence level's pretty good? Yep, guys have actually been really good. They're excited for, for the World Cup. I think, like I said before, we sort of played seven games in five days at home before coming over. So these warm-up games sometimes can be a bit um, arduous. They're a bit harder to get guys up for and things, but... In terms of our training and preparation, the guys are flying along nicely, so it's, a, it's exciting. The SCG is um, about five days away, uh, Luke, and I, I just wonder how close you guys are to formulating one year plan to your 11. Yep, I'd imagine uh, we can't be far off at all. I think we sort of, you have your, your idea of how you, you want to decide to look and how you want them playing and, and game plans and, and tactical moves against against the Aussies, so it's, it's exciting again, I keep saying it, but it's 
the guys have sort of they understand their roles and, and what they they want to do when they go out there and, and perform. So um, again, it's going to be exciting from what we hear. It's a, a sold out game as well, so an SCG full of thirty to forty thousand people, or whatever it is. It's actually it's a great atmosphere and, and it'll be a great way to start the World Cup. Have you guys um, closed the shop on the on the top three? Um, have you got that sorted going into Sydney, or are you still still um, mulling around? Bearing in mind that the candidates that are involved, you've you've got your Martin Guptill with a, uh, a veritable Boeing seven three seven full of experience, as opposed to a, a new guy and uh, Finn Allen who uh, is a Cessna. Uh, I mean, I just I I just wonder whether I just wonder whether. You know that those things come into mind, and you're still open-minded on that. Yeah, they definitely always are. That, that's part of what's made this team um, move the way it has over the past few years. So it's, there are always questions, and there are always um, understandings of, of what people have done in the past and how well they've performed, and and also the big games that we've got coming up. So there are conversations that are always had, and op- uh, options, I guess, that are always there. How's Kane? Good, Kane Williamson. Yeah, he's good. He's he's enjoying himself. He is. I mean, like anyone, he wants to make contributions and do things for the team that are helping the team. And but his mindset, and where he, he wants to be, and how he's tracking has, has been going really well. He again yesterday didn't get too many, but he was certainly. Uh, I think he walked straight from the wicket up to the nets to have a good hit in the net. So uh, he got his work in again yesterday, and and have another hit today. And 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 everyone's yeah confident with with how they're going. Okay, look. Uh, one of the other issues, which is very unusual for the Black Caps in the last uh, decade, I would imagine, was uh, the fielding got a few headlines at home. Uh, how hard have you been working on that, and, and the problems around that? Yeah, it's it's been an interesting um, it's been an interesting part of the game at the moment. It's like they're just well, they're basic things that we're mucking up. I mean, they're, they're all very simple catches that we've been putting down. So I think it's. It's like it's it's doing the work and, and making sure. Cause when if you practice those real sort of easy ones, I guess at times it's it, you look at it and you look you feel a bit silly doing it, but you've got to do it. So the guys get their work in and, and they know what's expected of them with their energy and attitude in the field. And, and because it's something you can easily sort of uh, look at and and um, evaluate. So uh, and the guys have have had their their conversations around it, and how we want to be um, going out in the park and performing it in that space. So. Hopefully, when we get to the to the the main games, that that's picked up and it's where we at the level we want it to be at. First challenge will be the uh, the yellow team, uh, Australia. Um, I, I just wonder how much uh, you've talked about them at this point. I know we've just had a recent series which didn't go uh, that well, but uh, this is a, another form of the game, of course, and. Uh, uh, they beat us in the final last time around. How much have you talked about Australia and how much have you planned and, and homework you've done on their players? Uh, well, we've got all that sort of stuff coming out. I think with, with what we've been doing at home and leading into these sort of these practice games and training sessions, the guys are sort of honing into their their own skills and, and how they want to sort of go about their game. And then we do our scouting against the Aussies uh, once we get down to, to Sydney. Um, so we do a lot of that sort of stuff. And uh, that... ODI series here was is actually going to be really important for the fact of knowing we've just played against we've just faced their bowlers and I realise T20 cricket and ODI cricket are different but the, the main skill sets of, of individuals will still be the same so it's realising that and, and using those that knowledge I guess to to try and put it to as, as best use as possible in, in game time. How much do you think spin will be a factor in Australian conditions? You know them pretty well Luke. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sydney normally it's it's always I've I've loved always playing there and and the way spinners can come into effect there. And, and like I said before, there's a couple of double header games, so there could be more used surfaces going around. So I think I think the spin options are going to be are going to be really important. And I think in general in T20 cricket, I, the spinners are, are leading wicket takers in, in major competitions around the world. So that'll be a, it's a massive part of our game as well. We've got our a good seam bowlers, and we've obviously got some some good uh, spin bowlers as well that can come in and and have massive impacts in in the game for us. Luke, it's only been just over twelve months since the last T20 World Cup because of COVID, etc. Um, but I just wonder, you you look at scores now, and and given that the conditions in Australia will generally be very good, nice batting pitches, uh, fast outfields, decent sized grounds to run your twos and threes, etc. I just wonder how much the bar has been lifted in it in terms of a par score, given good conditions. Yeah, that's it's a massive thing. And like you said, in Australia, your twos and threes as well sort of make a, such a difference in the game. I think that's something we're trying to be trying to emphasise with the guys. Understand that some of the grounds here are a lot bigger. Well, they are a lot bigger than they are at home. So then it's understand that we can't use the block bash style of cricket. It's a lot harder here. Uh, so you, you got your smarts away around how you. You can do it and realise that pass scores can be a lot higher. Uh, but also, I'm still sort of wary or cautious of the fact that there are double headers. There will be surfaces used um, more than once. So the traditional style of of cricket of going to a different ground, having a fresh T20 wicket, and and it being flat belters, it may be a bit different. And that's where the adaptability comes comes into it. I think the UAE World Cup. Uh, 2019 World Cup, the different World Cups that have been going on, the the expectation before it is that the score is going to be really big, and then in, in actuality, they haven't been quite what people expect. So it's understanding that and being prepared for those big games and big scores, sorry. Uh, but then also understanding if the surface is dictating something else, then being ready for that as well. Yeah, interesting. I, I know you've been busy with what you've been doing, but there have been two. Pretty big turn-ups uh, for me anyway. Namibia beating Sri Lanka, Scotland being the West Indies. Now, uh, I guess you've got to uh, cast a sort of an eye on this because uh, of the fact that um, y- you still are waiting for a couple of opponents. Those, uh, What are the bearings to those games, those results have for you guys? Well, they're huge. I mean, we, we are. We're watching all those games. because I guess at the start there are um, expectations or sort of teams you think are going to go through when you see results like that. Um, I guess it shows you that the nature of T20 and and how things can change so quickly. Uh, and it also makes it really exciting to see um, different teams beating other teams and, and making it um, an interesting period of time to see, I guess, the style of cricket that, that then will be played because teams are trying to get wins when they need them. And, and it's just sort of, there's a bit of weather around as well at the moment in Australia. So it's, there's interesting times to, to see who's going to make it through and, and who we will um, who we will play when it comes to the the group stage that we start. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fascinating, uh, and I think it's great for the tournament. Now, you've got one more chance, one more hit yeah, out, yeah? One more hit uh, out? Yes, yeah, so we got training today. We play India tomorrow at the Gabba, um, and then we head down to Sydney for a training, then we start against the Aussies on Saturday. See you there. Can't wait. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic occasion at the SCG. Luke Ronke, uh, batting coach, uh, very experienced in Australian conditions, of course, so his background there knows exactly what is needed. All the best, mate. We'll see you at the weekend. Awesome. Thanks, Billy.
Cheers, man. Uh, Luke Ronke uh, there coming uh, out of Brisbane for us. Yes, very important hit out at the Gabba. Uh, and then, of course, uh, down to Sydney for the real business end of the competition. We'll be back shortly here on SENZ. SENZ. 21-2 here on uh, SENZ as we work our way through to uh, midday. Uh, and uh, we talked before, in fact, I introduced it before. I don't think I can do it as well again, but we'll give it a go. Um, about David Nika, who uh, won very impressively the other day uh, with a knockout performance. What a huge punch that was. Uh, and now his record is starting to become, only early I, sh- I hasten to add in, but starting to become quite impressive in the professional ranks. And uh, one bloke who keeps a very, very close eye on that for business reasons as much as anything else is one Dean Lonergan, a friend of the show. Well, he spoke yesterday on the station about the prospects looking ahead for David Nika. I have a, I've got a lot of time for David Nika. He's a really, really good young man. I yep. think he's a very, very talented fighter. He's in superb shape. He's a good-looking guy. I think he is a very, very marketable force. And I, he, he done it the second, early in the second round, I think it was, uh, with a one-shot punch in a cruiserweight division. That's a, that's a really good... Uh, it's a really good skill to have. So Dave's well on his way. And he's been trained by a very good friend of mine, Noel Thornbury from Gatton, which is about an hour and a half north out of Brisbane. It's in a country town, and, mate, he's getting the best of the best. Noel actually took Alex Leopie, uh all the way to the world heavyweight title against Vitelli, uh, Vladimir Klitschko, sorry, of which I was at that fight with Noel. Mate, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced by Nika. Before Donald comes in to drop me in it, I'll admit, I'm not convinced by Nika yet. Well, that's all right. You don't have to be. We just have to let him go on the journey. He can't do any more than knock out the guys he's got yes. in front of him. I think on the on the fight that he had with me on July 2, he knocked the guy out the second or third round. This time round, he knocked the guy out in the second round. Like, what more can the guy do? Yeah, I, I, but I'm also wary of padding records. Well, look, I can't argue with that, but David's only on his fifth fight professionally. And, uh, you know, Joe Parker, when we were coming through, wasn't a fight exactly fighting King Kong. And, mate, he's been guided by one of the best in the business in Noel Thornbury. I think he's managed very well as well by uh, Stephen Brown. And, uh, mate, I think you're going to see a good quality uh, career come out of David Nika. I wish you'd come on about an hour ago, Dan, because then I would have had to have had a rubbish conversation trying to defend David Nika to one Stephen McIver saying that he's he's not going to cut it. And I tried to highlight that he's only just started his career, but uh, the fact that he is knocking people out, is that a pretty pretty strong th- sort of uh, element to his future going forward that he's not just this technical fighter that I guess comes out for, from the Olympics and uh, the Commonwealth Games stuff? Look, he's a freak. He's about six foot three, and as a yeah. cruiserweight, so he's, he's about 90.1, 90.4 kilos, I think. And he is just ripped, right? And he yeah. must have bloody um, sparrow bones for bones because he's got so much muscle on him. And the fact that we all know he's a magnificent technical boxer, so the fact he's now knocking guys out, it's just another string to his bow. The one criticism that my heavyweight, Justice Hooney's had, is that he's not knocking guys out. And I've just said to Justice, don't worry about knocking guys out. For the simple fact, if you have a look at the world's best right now, which is Alexander Ursek and Tyson Fury, they're not known as knockout artists. These guys are known as great boxers. And at the end of the day, so long as you win your fights, you're all the way there. I can see Naika, to be honest, on fight number 15, which is only 10 fights away, being in the position to fight for the cruiserweight title of the world. So, you know, there's always knockers out there. And, of course, in the media, you must have an opinion. But you'll find 
But guys like Stephen Donald, who have been on the other side of the media, know how cutting and biting it can be, are usually pretty magnanimous towards young, young, young and up-and-comers, whereas the Steve MacGyver's <laughs> never been on the other side, so they rip and tear. Yeah, that is a very interesting three-way conversation we heard last night between the two Stevens, MacIver and Donald. Uh, and of course, uh, Dean Lonergan on the prospects of uh, David Nika. Um, so uh, that uh, is is pretty interesting. We'll uh, keep an eye on his future with the fights that he's uh, got uh, coming up. Um, right, uh, let's uh, look at uh, one text that has come in to say, Smithy, can you find out why the TAB doesn't always put up your multi these days? <laughs> Probably the reason why is but it's a waste of time the way my record is. Uh, some of us aren't able to write it down when you run through it. There is used to be a link at the top of the page every day. Well, I'll find out uh, what's happening there and put it back up there just uh, for um, your interest today in case you weren't able to write it down. I've gone for the Chargers um, to beat the Broncos this afternoon at $1.43. That's uh, NFL, of course. Uh, the Yankees, the Yankees to beat the Guardians uh, at $1.62. Uh, the Netherlands um, to beat Namibia $2.40 now. Namibia beat Scotland in this group of qualifiers. Netherlands beat the UAE. Uh, of those four sides, I'm thinking that the UAE are the weakest side. So they're probably reading into the fact there that the Netherlands um, um, you know, had an easier road there. Sure, Namibia played some very good uh, cricket to beat Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka were appalling, absolutely appalling, I'll say that as were the West Indies yesterday. Um, and uh, I, would be, I would be thinking to myself that might be Namibia's best performance. So my theory is this. On history, the Netherlands have played uh, a lot of cricket um, and uh, quite a lot of preparation into this tournament. Um, they've got a relatively experienced side as well. And I'm just thinking uh, the value for the Netherlands over the top of Namibia for me is today. Um, quick turnaround from what they did, they, uh, did the other day, but that is the nature of this tournament. There is a lot of uh, quick turnarounds. So um, interesting, very interesting to, to get a, a point on that. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, the NFL was uh, up and running yesterday and uh, some very interesting results um, popping around the scene, uh, which uh, saw Tom Brady, of course, disappointed, of course, yesterday uh, when the Bucks were beaten by... Uh, you know, they were beaten by a side that used to have Roethlisberger, of course, and uh, Pittsburgh, um, yeah, generally are a, a gritty sort of a side. Uh, but they might be uh, one to look out for. They've had years and years and years of gentle Ben, uh, and now, of course, uh, they go into a new era, but they've got a hell of a good coach, a very highly respected coach. Uh, so, Logan, um, whilst we, we try and get to, through to the news here, uh, Logan's not even listening to me. Logan's Logan's not even listening to me. I am. So, uh, well, okay, contribute, contribute. <laughs> uh, well, one thing I will say there, Smithy, uh, for anyone who's wondering where your multi is gone, there are several other places you can go to to get the information. If you didn't quite catch it the first time, of course, you can go to our podcast channels on Spotify or, you know, Apple Podcasts, wherever, wherever you get them. So throw it in there just to uh, annoy Sammy Hewitt if you're listening. Uh, also, go to our Facebook and Instagram. Our great team here at SEN always put up your multi-smithy so that people can get on get in on the action with you as well. Uh, NFL, man, I am, I'm, you know me, I love my fantasy football and I am all in on your multi today. 
picking the uh, Chargers because I really need a good game from their running back, Austin Eckler, uh, for me to uh, squeak through with a win this week. Okay, who are the two quarterbacks involved today? From memory? The two quarterbacks, we have Justin Herbert, and uh, I have to look up the other one, actually, Smithy, just quickly. Okay, well, you do that. You do that, but um, quite frankly, uh, some big deals been signed in the basketball, too. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed, the Golden State Warriors, they just forked out on two players yesterday. Uh, Paul is one of them, um, and I'll just have to look up the other one, but something like $248 million. Two hundred forty-eight million to to get two players. Well, how the hell? How do they pay for that? I know these guys are squigger millionaires, but how are they able to pay and get away with that kind of money? I mean, I'll be honest with you: forty-five million for Stephen Adams for two years. Are well, you kidding me? When you win, no one's worth forty-five. No one is worth forty-five million dollars for two years at anything they do. When you, not. when you win the way Golden State like to win, you don't mind paying that luxury tax when you uh, sign guys like Jordan Poole. And the other name you're thinking of is uh, Canadian basketball superstar Andrew Wiggins, both uh, right, Wiggins. taking up the big money yeah. there. So they'll be contenders uh, in this forthcoming season with those names that they've got there. Of course, they've got Curry and they've got uh, Tremont Green as well, just to push a few people out of the way. But um, yeah. Not, did you come up with an answer? Yeah, yeah, I did. I don't know why this escaped my mind before because we just had Brendan Popwell talk about it before and that insane bet of Russell Wilson throwing 300 yards and three passing touchdowns today. So the battle there between Russell Wilson and Justin Herbert will be a good one there today uh, between the Chargers and the Broncos. Looking forward to that one this afternoon, Smithy. Okay, cool. Right, uh, it's time for you to uh, win here on SENZ. It's our daily $50 donation to, to your back pocket. Question is, uh, can you get through on the lines? Uh, Brian was uh, sitting there poised uh, waiting for your calls. 0800 150 And uh, we'll have some news with Araha. And when we come back, it's time to play Stump Smithy. 1476 AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, and today here on Stumped, we are playing for a $50 TAB bonus bet. Smithy, I know you're ready to go. Should we bring in our first contestant? Please do. Uh, who's our uh, first victim today? <laughs> I always love you say first victim. Uh, first at the crease, we have Mike from Christchurch. Come in, mate. How you going, guys? Yeah, good, Mike. Uh, how are you feeling this morning? Co- confident? Uh, quietly confident. How are you feeling about Saturday night? Quietly <laughs> confident? <laughs> uh, quietly confident. The boys can get up. They're playing well, Wellington. Yeah, I know. They are playing pretty well. I had them in, uh, mm. I took them 13. Us too, so I thought they'd beat Auckland. Wow. That's a good bet. Uh, it's a very good bet. I hope your judgment's just as good this morning. What are the subjects <laughs> this morning for, for Mike? Well, we'll see how you go, Mike. I don't know about that nervous laughter there. I, I could I could sense that. But the uh, topics to choose from today, mate, you've got the NPC, we've got golf, and we also have the T20 Cricket World Cup. Take your pick. I'll go with the NPC, eh? All right, good luck. Ah, 
Still lamenting that Bay Plenty didn't make it through, but that's fine. That's fine. First question for you, Mike. Who was the highest point scorer in the NPC regular season this year? I'll go with Fergus Burke. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I mean, good guess considering he scores all your points, but Smithy, over to you. Um, tossing up between Caleb Trask and Harry Plummer. I'm not quite sure which way to go. I'll go Caleb Trask. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Across the Harbour Bridge, North Harbour, Bryn Gatlin, 139 oh, nice. points. Yeah, he did have a good season. It's got to be said. He had a hell of a good season. Sorry, Bryn. Sorry, Warren. Sorry, Mrs. Gatlin. <laughs> Second question for you, Mike and Smithy. Who scored the most the most tries in this year's NPC? Oh, uh, I'll go to Lee. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, that's right. Tavita Lee with 13 tries to his name, Smithy. Yeah, well, it's um, it's a toss-up these days. It's a, between a winger and a hooker, isn't it? You wouldn't have thought that in the <laughs> yeah. days gone by. Uh, where the hookers just fall on the back of the scrums. I wouldn't mind betting that uh, there's a few hookers uh, relatively high up in the numbers there. So, uh, okay, that's two. Good luck, Mike, for the all-important third question. Yes, this is the one. This is the one. $50 TAB bonus bet on the line here for you, Mike. Four drop goals were scored during this year's NPC with Smithy's Magpies being one of those teams. Name the Hawks Bay back who kicked that goal. Um, oh, I'll have God, to go. This is going to haunt me. Lincoln McClutchy. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Don't let it haunt you, Smithy. This is tough. This is a tough one. Um, tossing up between Caleb Markini, um, Danny Tawala. And I've also uh, got Stacey Ely in there. These are the guys that traditionally played in those uh, key positions. Or even a young guy who played at fullback uh, who may have had the brashness to kick a drop goal and Harry Godfrey. Uh, nah, I'm, I'll go Mark, Caleb Markini. I'll go Caleb Markini. One of the worst things I have ever seen Kidding. done on a cricket field. You know, when you go through your process like that, Smithy, I often think, all right, here it comes. Here comes the final nail in the coffin, and you're going to stump him. The answer I'm looking for was Chase Tiatia. Chase Tiatia dropped a goal. He did? Really? I don't believe that. Chase <laughs> Tiatia. He runs the ball all the time. Who's he dropping a goal for? Because the county's going. It was against counties. Yeah. Counties in the Shield. All oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. Shield game. Uh, okay. Well, the guts of it is, Mike, you've won. You've won again. Um, and maybe that's a good omen for you this week. And really, you got one out of two, right? But that's the rules of this competition. It's the stupidest competition in the world because you can win without getting anything right. But hey, you've done you it. love Congratulations. it. Congratulations. You love it. Congratulations. Congratulations, Mike. Um, Take it, take it on board, mate. Uh, hey, look, stay on the line. Brian will get your details, Mike. You've probably already got them ten times over. Uh, but congratulations, uh, and have a terrific day, and good luck to Canterbury at the weekend on your behalf. Thanks, mate. Have a good one.
Yeah, cheers. Uh, Mike there from Christchurch who is successful. Uh, we've just got a uh, text in to say uh, from Tavita. It says, Tavita. Uh, anyone heard from Zaid this week about his beloved Auckland team? I, I don't think I've, we've had any calls from Zaid this morning or yesterday morning. Wait, Not today, but no, we've definitely had Zaid on the show this week. He's doing all right. Well, on this show? I swear we had Tuesday. him on I swear we had him on Monday. Oh, I don't know about that. I'd have to go back into the the logs and things. I just oh, he's so Auckland based, so so pro Auckland. I just I just wondered. I really just wondered whether he might just be <laughs> a little bit upset. But let, let's hope not. Let's hope not. Because uh, as you say, with the Warriors and most teams that come out of Auckland, uh, there is uh, always next year. We'll take a short break here on SENZ, and uh, when we come back, when we come back, we shall have our Mount Rushmore. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, it's uh, Mount Rushmore time. That was uh, Jimi Hendrix. Thanks, Jimmy, for that instrumental. Fantastic. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about uh, the best or favourite four World Cups that we have experienced in our lifetime. Um, and I think I'll go first today, if that's OK with you, uh, Logan, because I'm going to go to the uh, 2015 Rugby World Cup. And the reason why I went there is uh, because uh, it was special, because it uh, was winning it away from home. It was winning it at Twickenham. Uh, it was the experience that, that I had going through to uh, all those wonderful grounds, uh, uh, non-cricketing grounds, and doing some sport around there. So to follow the World Cup uh, around there, uh, that uh, magnificent grand final, um, where we scored that try just to nail it, and Justin Marshall and Nisbo just about jumped off the top of the stand at Twickenham. It was just absolutely fantastic, and the car park afterwards, just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So... Uh, that was it, back-to-back World Cups, 2011, 2015. Some say 2011 better because it was at home. I say 2015 because it was away and it had encompassed all those magical moments. Sonny Bill Williams still looking to play. The All Blacks still the kings of world rugby. Is this the greatest ever era? Even for New Zealand, well, it feels like it right now. The magnificent McCall and Carter. Oh, what a final that was, Smithy. Unfortunately, that was the world rugby commentary, not the sky commentary, uh, which is surprisingly really hard to find because I still remember, uh, you know, Nisbo going going at it and Marshy yelling, go, Pody. It was just, oh, man, what a final that yeah. was. I For my first one, Smithy, yep. uh, I'm, I'm going back to 2013, uh, a bit different. I was sort of trying to think of oh, what, what was a really cool moment in New Zealand sport. This is hosting the Softball World Cup at Rosedale Park uh, back in 2013 when New Zealand bet Venezuela 4-1 in the final. Trophy 
from Jeremy Manley across to Brad Rohner and best traditions of New Zealand softball. The Black Sox are back where they belong on top of the world. Hallelujah, well done, boys. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How good was that? And you could hear the crowd, and hopefully we hear them again because, uh, Smithy, Auckland's playing host to the 2022 World Cup. Next month, there's another World Cup coming. I just think Sorensen when I hear World Cup. Sorensen, Sorensen, Sorensen. Right, uh, nine, going back to when I was nine years of age. Nine years of age for my number three in descending order. Uh, and this was it. This was it. Way, way back in old Blighty. Uh, sadly, for this team, the only time they've ever won it. Three years ago, Alf Ramsey set out on the hard road that led to the World Cup. Only the optimists thought he could possibly succeed. Certainly not West Germany, whose team now ran a lap of honour. They were very sporting losers. But it was England that the whole world of sport was now cheering. As they say, Smithy, football's coming home. <laughs> football's coming home when the Saints go marching in. Jeff Hurst, Martin, Sniffy Peters. What a great side. They were the goal scorers. A hat-trick to Jeff Hurst. What, what a tournament. What a tournament that was. Bobby Moore lifting the trophy. Uh, Sir Bobby Charlton. And, oh, look, honestly, it was just absolutely magic. Magic. Uh, and all in black and white. Great. 1966. <laughs> yeah, and you, you can still look up some of that footage on YouTube, by the way. I'm going with the FIFA World Cup as well, but I'm going to 2010. And, I mean, really, New Zealand, come on. We ended that tournament as the only undefeated team. I'm never going to forget the sound of both their, <laughs> their performances and also the sound of the Vuvuzelas ringing around the stadium. What you're hearing now is, of course, that iconic moment where Shane Smouts put New Zealand one up against Italy. It's Freeman Elliott. Curls it in. Oh, and a touch in! New Zealand remarkably break the deadlock. Shane Smeltz takes the congratulations of the players. Well, a great flighty delivery from Elliott. It was Reed's flick. It was Cannavaro who couldn't really get any clean contact. Look who was there to just poke it in. Another remarkable story unfolding here. 2010, Smithy, FIFA World Cup, just such a great moment in New Zealand sport. Actually, could have had either World Cup. You could have had uh, 82 World Cup as well, um, and part of that. Well, I could have anyway, but um, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I try to uh, go around the sports a wee bit. Uh, so 2019, of course, the Cricket World Cup, uh, because uh, I suppose being Johnny on the spot, but just being there, being around England and all those magnificent grounds, and just uh, taking it to the absolute limit um, and not getting there, which gives us something to uh, go for next time around. But 2019 was an experience I shall never forget. Ferguson. Dunham! Dunham for pace! Dunham for direction! He tries, he can't do it as a little touch is there. It is, it is, it's over! It's over! Latham takes the catch! Pyrotechnics go off. What, what a performance from New Zealand to defend 239 and do it by 18 runs and blow this tournament wide apart. Yeah, Smithy, uh, I'm not revisiting uh, old wounds there for the Super Over 2019. So that was the semi-final Good. against India. 
Yeah, fantastic. Uh, the the one-day game played over two days. Fantastic. It was just great. And uh, Martin Guptill, remember Martin Guptill's run out of MS Stoney? Mm. What a moment that was. What a moment in the World Cup that was. Give him a chance, fellas. Give him a chance this World Cup as well. Give him a chance, the old guppy. Who's uh, who's um, next for you? Look, twenty. We talk about rugby World Cups. You you mentioned twenty fifteen, twenty eleven. Uh, for me, it was a really special one because I remember huddling around a TV with friends, watching it, and just you know seeing the All Blacks grind out an eight seven win. And given the heartache that France had given Kiwi rugby fans in the past, it just made it that little bit sweeter. The Tony Woodcock try, the Stephen Donald penalty, they're just moments etched in New Zealand history. Oh, my goodness, kick it out. Do they know it? Do they know it, though? Alice is going to do it. And they're offside. Oh, spine-tingling stuff at, at Eden Park. It certainly was. Uh, I'm going to stay at Eden Park for my number one, and this because it was the inaugural one, uh, and it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, beating the French in the final, Michael Jones scoring the first try, the great try by uh, JK, all knighted now, those blokes. Uh, it was just a, a fantastic occasion because the Rugby World Cup was such a novel thing, and here we were hosting it, and here we were winning it. So the kick... Was it converted? It was from in front. And the Webb Ellis Cup, the inaugural World Cup, has gone to this marvellous New Zealand side. A winning margin of 20 points. The crowd streams onto the ground. But really, the All Blacks, with their forward pack paving the way, has just overwhelmed a gallant French side this afternoon. Cool. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, never forget that. We'll never, ever forget that. No one ever should. Uh, and your number one? Uh, before we get to that, Smithy, I have a question for you. What's better than beating Australia? Nothing. The, the, the answer is doing it in a Rugby League World Cup final in Australia. 34-20 at Suncorp Stadium, captained by Nathan Kalis, coached by Stephen Kearney. It's a moment, of course, that lives very fondly in the minds of uh, Rugby League fans around the world, especially if you're cheering for New Zealand especially right now when we have such a good chance of winning it again. This is what it sounded like. It's a night that New Zealand Rugby League followers will want to continue and not stop. A dream has come true. The unthinkable has happened. And the Kiwis are on top of the world at long last. It's taken 54 years... S-E-N-Z. It's Kiwi for Sport. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.